Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week it is my joy and honor to come on here to have these conversations with fantastic people making great things for kids. No exception today. I have the great Peggy Brown on the line. So excited to talk to her. Let me introduce you to Peggy. She has created hundreds of products that have been mass produced and marketed all over the world. She's written books, taught classes. She's worked with the world's biggest and best toy, game and kids entertainment companies in a number of capacities as an inventor, a designer, a writer, a creative director, a consultant, an executive She is a 2009 Taggy winner in the category of Game Innovator of the Year. She's a 2019 Taggy nominee in the category of Toy Innovator of the Year. And this year, 2020, she's a Taggy nominee for Game Innovator of the Year. Peggy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Phil. Happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, So much that we can learn about your creativity, about your path, about what you've done, what you've created, and so excited to dive into that. I always start at the beginning, though. Peggy, how did you come to be involved in the toy and game industry? I started at, I was an industrial design student. Um, So that was my major in art school. And um, when I left, when I graduated, I had a couple of choices for jobs and one was at a tractor factory and one was at a company that made pots and pans and that kind of stuff. And one was at a game company and that's the one I picked. So it was was serendipitous. Obviously I, I certainly had more interest in, in this topic than the other two, but that's kind of it. I mean, those were my choices. You know, with with the creativity and, and absolute just fun that the pots and pans industry has, I'm wondering, do you ever regret that decision? <laughs> I have never given that one ounce of thought. I have never in my life. But you know, I think it, I think in those jobs, it was a it was a design position, and I think what has happened in the game industry is it has a lot of other kinds of design aspects that aren't just physical. So at Pots and Pans, for example, you're designing handle shapes, you're designing, you know, using materials to make them work better or whatever. But with games, you're designing intangible things like the way people interact with one another. And Mm. you're designing fun, which is completely, it's not, it's not physical. You're also doing other things that I didn't really realize I was good at or even enjoyed, which is writing uh, and, um, sort of assigning personality and voice to things. It's much easier to do in a game than it would be to do in a pot. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it give this industry gives you the ability to to branch out and be creative and push creativity in ways that that uh, that you didn't imagine. Um, yeah, starting there's, off. there's lots of aspects to that. There's all there's a lot that goes into these recipes that that make a game that I didn't, you know, in, in hindsight, wouldn't have gotten to exercise in other industries. Yeah, yeah, and not to say that pots and pans don't make great toys because they do. Well, right. I love that you've mentioned the emotional connection. You are really designing ways for people to interact and share information. And I think that's above anything else. I mean, before you really you start to think about what the thing is, what the physical thing is, and it's the same with toys. Um, you have to design how a person is going to use it, and a lot of times, as a designer, you're designing it for being used in other ways that you don't intend. You know, you have to think about safety of like, how is, how are they really going to use this? But I think um, the interaction is really the essence of it. And it's not even just the consumer interacting with it. We have to design how we're going to convince a bunch of executives to want to interact with it first. And so there's all these different levels of um, sort of invisible intellectual property that goes into each, each stage of these products. You have to think about how can you emotionally connect that executive or that group of executives to your product before it even gets close to a consumer or a child. Yeah, it is the last person on a food chain. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. really too bad in a lot of ways, but it's really just the reality of it because it takes millions of dollars to put, you know, somebody's got to put up the cash and invest in this thing from the beginning and they have to be convinced that it's going to sell. And so that's the first hurdle is to convince somebody that the idea is good and then convince them to put their treasure into it when there's really no proof that it'll turn out in any kind of <laughs> way. <laughs> that's right. I love your clarity on that. I want to go back to your origin story. You were the only girl in your industrial design class at the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. That's right. My eight-year-old daughter is is a burgeoning maker. And and I wonder about the world's outlook for her in, in, in art, in engineering, in design. Uh, what's your advice today for girls that are interested in industrial design. How has that, how has that industry changed? How has the education in that industry changed? What would you say? Well, I think it's changed a lot. I think there's a lot more opportunity for girls in at least getting into school um, than when I was there. But I think it's, it's like it is in a lot of cases. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I think I'm the, I, I can't think of another, perhaps I'm wrong, but I believe I'm the only woman who owns an invention firm that I can think of, not only just in America, that owns an invention wow. firm in the wow. industry with a staff and a payroll and a, you know, a studio and everything. Um, it's women are still far fewer than men in, in a lot of cases, but I would say for a kid, you know, I, I was so deep into what I wanted to make that I, didn't realize, I didn't think about it. Um, and I also grew up in a family where I could do whatever I wanted. You know, I didn't have to think about traditional roles for girls. Um, and I think that sort of gave me the freedom to think about what I felt like doing or follow my own path. And I think though, that you also have to really grow a thick skin. I, I, I learned early on that the only way to sort of not have to engage with all the naysayers and bullies would be just to not listen to them. And it's not an easy thing to do, but I think I just kind of 
<laughs> didn't care. What they <laughs> and, and, you know, in that, and I know that's difficult for a lot of people to do, but it kind of was very liberating to me because I didn't have to deal with all that. I just ignored it. And, um, that opens up a lot of space, I think. So, um, you know, part of it is, is not listening to it or not believing what they say or just not caring. And it just shuts them down right away. I mean, it, it, they want to get a reaction out of you. So you just don't give it to them. And, and so I, I was able to kind of re kind of reside in my own head and not sort of be bothered by all of that other noise. That's fantastic. It's great. It's great advice. Uh, I still lean on it today. I mean, all the time. I I find when I engage with people that are coming after me for these same kind of issues that were the things that came up in grade school, that I really should just stop (laughs) because it's pointless. It's, you know, it just really is. Well, they are the enemy of creativity. Right. If you're focused on all those things that are coming at you from all the different angles, it doesn't leave a lot of room to be creative. Well, that's true. And I find the way that I'm creative is I have to sequester myself. I think about all these people that work in these open office situations and things. I would be a disaster. There's a (laughs) place I'm on the board of uh, Chicago Toy and Game Group, which is now People of Play. Yes, we have meetings occasionally down at uh, in Chicago, down at uh, the Merchandise Mart. There's a an incubator, a startup incubator called 1871. And it's this beehive of activity. And there's all these people running around, all these meetings going on and everything. And to me, it's just a cacophony of disaster. I I cannot formulate thoughts. I cannot concentrate on anything. And I think a lot of times creatives um, really deserve to be able to sequester themselves. And whether it's you alone or whether it's your team, But in order to do creative work, you have to have room in your head for thoughts. And when it's filled up with other things, I mean, I don't even listen to music when I'm working. I can't. If I know the words to a song, I'll start writing the words. I I listen to a lot of improvisational jazz only when I'm doing kind of mindless work like database cleaning or (laughs) (laughs) stuff that's like really monotonous. Um, but, But for creatives, you have to have... You have to tune out all the noise so that that rich part of your mind can be activated. And that's when you the only time you can get into the flow that you require to really be creative. So what you're saying is 2020 quarantine best year ever. Well, I have said <laughs> that I was built for this. And there, there, right. I mean, with all the sadness and horrific things that are happening around us. I, there are aspects of this that I am really enjoying. Um, it's not easy, but I, I do really revel in the silence that I can sort of, you know, kind of find myself in. Um, and there's a lot, I'll tell you, we're on fire. I'm just, I don't know how many things I've invented in this last six months and it's, just piling up like snowflakes. That's just crazy. And I think part of it is because a lot of the things that we're obligated to participate in that cause us to run on this treadmill all the time have stopped and it's allowed more time for thought. And, and when I think it comes, when it comes to kids, you know, I, 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 I really worry that they never have a chance to get bored anymore. 
we're constantly entertaining them. We're filling them with schedules and, you know, we want them to learn piano or we want them to play soccer or whatever we want them to do. And we want them to be social with their friends. But I think real creativity comes out of time spent alone with your own head. And um, that opportunity is becoming more rare. Agreed. I was just on the line with Anna Udina at the Toy Association, and we talked about that and specifically their Genius of Play initiative. And one of the silver linings that may have come out of this pandemic is that parents and children have reconnected yep. uh, over games and toys yep. and, and, and gotten out all those physical products to fill the time. Yep. And uh, and maybe that's something positive that, that can sure. come from all of this. Yeah, back to uh, six. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, well, Peggy, if you will, uh, take us inside your workshop. I'm curious, what do you look for in a great game concept? Uh, When do you know when the rules are just right? (laughs) What does that process look like for you? (laughs) You know what? Uh, There's a lot of designers that are really methodical about this kind of thing. And I am really sort of the opposite. Um, I'm more of a hip shooter. And I will say, though, that I do my homework. So I don't just come up with an idea that I want to come up with. That's rare. Generally, I look at my customers' product lines and I think what would be a smart next evolutionary product step to the side, right? How do you evolve and um, build a product line? What will make sense for that customer to try and sell? And, you know, many times I've seen where my customers will be in one business. Um, like I had a customer years ago that made a lot of action figures and they had all these licenses with, with uh, entertainment companies. And then all of a sudden they said, well, you have all these light licenses, let's do a bunch of games. And they didn't know the first thing about games and games are not the same. There's a lot more inside a box of game than there is inside a package with just a figure in it. Um, and while the builds may be complicated in their own different ways, the, the, intangible things that I was talking about earlier are really real. And it comes to, it, it, it sort of reveals itself just how important it is to give thought to all that stuff. Um, when you think you're just going to put out a line of games. So, um, I create things that I believe will make sense marketing wise and sales wise for my customers. That's where I begin. Um, and then within, you know, I think it's, I'm the kind of designer that, finds it easier to um, define the ballroom and then dance in it. You know, I, I think when there's too many options, your cri- your criteria is too broad and you can't really zero in on what makes sense. And, and yeah, we're here to create fun stuff and we're here to have fun and we're here to make toys and games, but we're also here to make a living and to sell things. I mean, that's, it has to be that way. It, we have to, sell things in order to support our habits. Right. So, right. So the realities of it, you know, I think there are a lot of creatives that don't want to address reality. You know, they just kind of want to float along on whims and there's plenty of people like that. But I find that if you, if you define what the true reality of the opportunity is, it gives you parameters in which you can come up with a solution that satisfies a whole lot of criteria that are exactly the things that your customers want you to be thinking about. And so you get from point A to point Z a whole lot faster. It doesn't meander. Um, And so the thing about when do you know when it's right, it's, 
you know, those are all just those. No one can answer that or we'd all just be in the Bahamas floating around on yachts or something. <laughs> I mean, really, this is the toy industry. Right. Ask anybody the recipe right. and they just laugh in your face. And, That's right. And, you, you know, you can ask billionaires who've lost everything and you can ask people that have been swinging the hammer for 40 years and haven't ever hit anything. So no one knows that answer exactly. But I do believe that there are ways to define what makes sense and what direction to go. And, um, and then those questions are more easily answered once you've sort of laid the groundwork and answered those important questions first. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of defining the ballroom and you're exactly right. Many creatives will, uh, will you know, wouldn't it be great if, but there's no context uh, for the idea. There's no precedent. There's no manufacturing precedent for something that they're bringing to the table. And so this idea of defining the ballroom is really setting parameters for yourself. And a lot of times that feels wrong creatively. But the fact is we can be the most creative when we have set budget, set parameters, oh, uh, set materials that, that we have to to step into and step in and, and use uh, set trends that we're looking at. So all of those things go to benefit the creative process, not to so. hinder it. I and, and I think it makes it easier mm-hmm. I, when when it's just totally shooting darts around in the dark. What's what's the chance you're going to hit something? <laughs> But when you know where the target is, it really That's right. it really slims down all these other wasted options, and it it really puts you on the path right away. And I'm I'm a realist. I don't really. I mean, I can do art for art's sake on weekends, and I do plenty of that, like whatever I want, you know. But I don't have any any delusions that it's the thing that's going to pay the mortgage. I, I it just doesn't work that way. Right. Well, and you've been involved in in a lot of arts uh, and crafts and and things that benefit children and and people. Some of the things on your website about uh, doing arts and crafts at nursing homes and helping them to see the world a little differently. Um, Such a blessing. Right. Such a blessing to use your creativity. I I think, you know, people forget that we have this hand brain connection. And, you know, most of us now we just sit in front of screens and we click around and we don't touch anything. And I think as human beings, the way that our brains are wired. We need our hands to make connections with our brains. And if you're not really using your hands to do things, then you're not thinking as thoroughly or as completely as you could. Um, and I think too, we, we understand the satisfaction of making things and how, um, how important that is in our, in, in our gratification as designers, as makers. I had a neighbor at one point who was always cutting our grass. And I, I said, why don't you get somebody to do that? You're, you know, you finally get a day off and you're out there. And she said, you know, I, I love doing it because I can see what I've accomplished. Hmm. Was, I think she was in, she was a stockbroker or something. And, and, you know, she just pushed paper all the time and she didn't really have any physical proof. It was all just like, you know, numbers on pages and it didn't really, you couldn't stand back, put your hands on your hips and look at something that's been accomplished and changed because of your work. And so she would cut her grass all the time. (laughs) And I don't have to cut my grass because I can see physically hold and play with the things that I make. And it's, it does something for you that you, that I think people who don't understand, who don't get to do that or who don't do that cannot relate to. But I think it's a really important part of our development as humans and as social beings and as makers. Well said. Well said. Great. 
so I'll leave the floor open. What what games do you want to talk about? What games are you excited about right now that uh, that you're either developing or that are on the shelf? Um, yeah. What, what are you looking at? Well, there's a few things that just came out. Um, there's a couple by Big G. One is called By Felicia, and it's um it's really just a party game where you're making lists and and you're trying to match the others. And if you don't if you don't get a match on your turn with someone else, you just say bye. Um, so it's silly. And what we're, what we're, what we're finding out about it is that it's, you can play it on zoom. <laughs> nice. So, people are sort of locked up with only one other person or by themselves or whatever. Um, you can play it over distance really well. And that's a real asset. Um, there's another one that just came out also from big G of mine called, uh, greatest of all time. You're who's the goat. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and that one, I suppose you could figure out a way to play it on Zoom, but it's you, you're, it'll be some kind of goofy uh, stunt, like who could whistle the loudest. I don't know. And then you, each person has a little squishy goat that's a different colored pants on, and you throw it at the person that you think, you know, you're kind of voting for who you think can whistle the loudest, and then you prove it. Everybody whistles, and then you score depending on who got, you know, if you got the most votes and you were right and all that. So it's just silly stunts. And... um I think in this moment, it's nice to have really simple, I mean, they're, they're party games and really they're just simple. And it's, it's just enough that you, you know, I don't even care if you play by the rules. It's just something to get your attention off of other things and make you laugh. Um, so we've got a few more coming out from Big G soon, which will be announced in October. And we have one that's out from, um, from Think Fun. It's a Rush Hour spinoff. It's called My First Rush Hour. And so it's a logic game that you can play by yourself uh, for little kids. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rush Hour, but it's a oh, yes. trash yes. jam. And you're always trying to figure out how to move the cars around in order to to uh, let one particular car exit. And in this case, the genius of it is that the one little car that you're trying to let out can turn. Whereas in Rush Hour, it's all just kind of gridlock. So it's, it's kind of a beginning... Uh, version of that game. Very cute. I, I love I love the name by Felicia. So this is a reference to a, a movie called Friday, and it's a, a sh- very short line by Ice Cube, uh, who acted in that movie, right? And it's become sort of this social meme for oh, get out of here. Uh, you know, it's it's a dis- kind of a disrespect. Like see see you later, bye Felicia. Um, was that the intent of the game? Did you did you come up with the name? Um, did that inspire sort of the rest of the game? Tell us about that. Um, I I can't remember what the game was called initially. You know, we we put working titles on stuff and then they never stick, or most usually <laughs> never stick. You know, because right. there's so many different cooks in the kitchen, everybody's got an opinion, and whoever sort of, you know, somebody will come out on top. I think. Um, I actually don't really remember how we landed on that name, but you know, you always try to look at something that's going to cause people to recognize it Mm -hmm. and, um, and respond to it in some emotional way. Some, you know, think it's funny or think it's understand it or um, so, I I mean, it would just, it's another name. It, it's, um, I think it's funny. I, you know, Michelle Obama has used that term. It's become part of the culture. I mean, it used to originated in a certain way, but I think over years, it's sort of just become, like you said, this way to just kind of dismiss somebody and in a funny sort of, you know, kind of way. Very, very eye catching on the aisle. So Simple Shades 
was a step for you into housewares. Yeah. And I'm wondering how the development of that product maybe differed from a lot of your toy and game work or did it differ? Well, it did. It did. <laughs> it did because I made something that I wanted for the first time. So I had this nightstand and I had this lamp on it that had sort of like this really wide, it was like a low wide shade and it was like a big circumference. And when the nightstand was in the corner of the room, you, the, the, you couldn't push the lamp to the corner because the shade kept smacking into the wall. So sure, I needed sure. something with a slimmer shade. So I went and built, um, I had some styrene laying around. I had some wrapping paper, gift wrap really that I liked the pattern of. And I just layered the two things and I put it on the lamp and that way the lamp was tall and thin and it could go into the corner cause it was in the way. And it was cool. I really, when the light came on, the light came through the paper and it was like, Hey, you know, that's something. So then I thought, well, what if we just printed the plastic and okay. So I'm checking out about that. I'm looking at, ah, I'm going to make some of this. So and it was in this point in time where I had, I had left, I was running the, the, I was a VP of development at what is now Play Monster. And I was gone from there and I, you know, was kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, let's look into this. So it was kind of a tangent and it was sort of in a moment where I had the bandwidth to try something else. Um, And I was sort of trying to figure out, oh, do I want to ramp up and start another company or do I want to, um, you know, keep it small and just do my own thing? Or do I want to shift and work in a different industry I don't know. Let's just try this. And I know how to do manufacturing. I mean, I worked on building most of the Asian manufacturing when I worked um, at at the company. So I had some contacts in other places and I started getting prices and I started thinking about it. And um, it was it was an interesting exercise. And it's funny now. it's still sitting there. I have patents, I have trademarks and it's a cool, cool product. And I'm really looking for a partner on it. But it's, I've sort of decided that I don't really want to be moving freight around the world and I don't want to be dealing with all the, there's a lot to do with manufacturing that's a different career mm, and, right. and sales and all that. And and while I could do it, I it doesn't interest me. And I'm kind of getting to a point in my life where I want to do things that, that I'm interested in. And um, still I'm frustrated by having to run all the minutia of, of the daily tasks of keeping a company together. I would really rather be stuffed in a corner and just have somebody throw money at me to think stuff up because boy, (laughs) that would be fine with me. Just let me be creative. And so a a category a little closer to home, you were nominated uh, 2019 for two plush uh, inventions, My Buddy Wheels and Lunch Pets, which again, a little different than the game category. Um, I'd love to hear the origin of those and and what made those different. You know, I, I started in games, so I stayed in games, and I didn't really give it all that much thought because there was always another opportunity to work on another game. And it's to me, it's like a bottomless pit. You can just keep doing more and more and more and more and more, and there's just no end to it. Um, so it was fine. And then I really – I don't even know what got, in me, what got me started in plush, but I did – you know, Santa Claus brought me a sewing machine when I was in second grade. And Santa was good about that. Um, he always made sure I had a lot of supplies and he always made sure I had the tools and the wherewithal to make things and make things well. I didn't get a toy sewing machine. I didn't have crummy scissors. I didn't have, you know, I had real stuff. Yeah, and I believe yeah. we need to give our kids the right tools so that they can actually not be, not be hobbled by these goofy little things that we give them. 
um, so that they can actually realize the things that they have in their imaginations. And so I was lucky enough to get this sewing machine and I still have it. And, um, and I'm like, well, let's give this a shot. I mean, okay. So I had these ideas and then I, you know, in conversations in, in the, you know, just in the, with toy people that I know, um, I took a meeting at Shytag one year with a company that made ride-ons and bikes. And um, I, I only took the meeting because I had known the person there from Hasbro from like a million years ago. And he was now at this company in, out of Dublin. And I just showed him this plush thing that went on a bike. I mean, it was just like a really out of left field kind of a thing. And he just stopped. And his mouth I mean, this usually you do pitch meetings and it's like poker. They don't let on right. what they're right. thinking. But he just stopped. And I was looking at his face at the moment and I could tell something struck him. So um, what was appealing to him about that was most of the products that they make take a couple of years in development. And then there's a lot of tooling and there's a lot of make ready and there's a lot of time. And this is cut and sew. There's no tooling. You can dive right in. You can have it out for the next season. And, you know, it kind of fills up that gap. It, it sort of lessens the burden on on the upfront. And it just sort of, he saw it, you know, he connected it. And so um, so then I just started thinking about plush. And and I just licensed another three items this four this morning, actually. Um, and there's others that are in the works. And I found that I kind of understand plush. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I have no background in it, but I uh, it's it's appealing to me for for because I think c- kids connect with characters, and I especially think at this moment that kids need something to love. They're very kids are terrified. They see their parents worrying, and they they understand how fraught everything is. And while they may not completely understand all the details. I think um, plush in this moment is uh, comforting. And um, and so I'm happy to think about it in that way to kind of give kids some, just a little piece of comfort. That's wonderful. And, and again, um, given the opportunity to stretch ourselves creatively, you, you don't know why you were drawn to plush, but you find that you're really good at it. Yeah. And it's a direction that you can go. And I, I, I love that, that part of this industry. I love that part of your story. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think we make a terrible mistake to teach kids or teach people to get a job, mm. um, to look for some opportunity for somebody to tell you what to do all day. And I know not everybody has the stomach for entrepreneurial endeavors. Believe me, it's not for the squeamish. But I do think that we are taught to to ask to seek permission to try something. And, you know, I really feel like I even if you have no business thinking you can do it, what does it hurt to try? Um, people I, I've written some books um, and people say, how do you get to deal with the pub, pub, pub with the publisher? How do you make how do you get in? And I go, you know, you don't worry about that. You write the book. And they're like, well, how do you? I go, do you have a pencil? And <laughs> that is the thing. And I'll tell you, people don't want to do that. They want to know how you rise right to the top. And and mm-hmm. they they aren't willing to do the work and they aren't willing to suffer the um, the tribulations of having to figure your way out, you know, figure your way towards something that you want. And I think it's a shame that we don't teach kids that you're going to fail 
You're going to fail like crazy. You're, trying costs a lot, you know? Um, and so I think over time, I have just sort of never cared that somebody would tell me I couldn't do it. I, I just never, I don't know if I just never listened well enough <laughs> or what, but I just, if I have, if I decide, if I get an idea and I want to try it, I will try it. I mean, I'm with Tim Walsh, Tim Walsh and I made a documentary about right. John Spinello who invented operation. I don't have any business making a documentary <laughs> and I still don't. And we had a low budget and we, it's, it's all shiny and, and sweaty and, you know, there's a lot of lumps in those mashed potatoes and I don't care. I tried. That's it. That's it. So a lot of inspiration in that, Peggy. Thank you for sharing. Get in your room, turn off the noise, pick up your pencil and get to work. Yeah. That's really, that's really what it boils down to. And you to. know what? Stink at it. Just yeah. <laughs> crumble it up and throw it away and do it again and then do it again yeah wow it, and it's it, that's tenacity right that is tenacity and maybe that's the most important skill right now for kids Absolutely. for everyone yeah, yeah. for sure yeah. And we don't teach them that we we make them think that everything is is rosy you know that's the problem with social media too is like everybody's all lipsticked and, and puffed up and looking fantastic and it's all just false um and I think it's a terrible message to give to kids because they know they, even if they aspire to that, they know they can't succeed at that. And so we're setting them up to fail immediately. And so then they don't even try. That's it. That's it. Peggy, this is wonderful. Uh, on the flip side of what we say to kids, it strikes me that you find it very important that we listen to kids. And I want to talk about that as, as we close up here. Sure. What advice would you give the industry on how to really hear and listen to kids and the advice that they are giving us? What signs that they are giving us about what products to make, um, how they play, how they think? How do we listen to kids? Well, I think we have to let them do their own stuff. And, you know, much of what kids time is consumed with is they're being entertained. We're filling their time. So they don't really get the opportunity to show us what it is they're good at or what, you know, you have to be able to play in your own time at your own will in order to prove to yourself what you gravitate toward, what you care about, what interests you. You know, I'm sure there's people that have studied, um, I don't know, bugs, that if they weren't a kid and they didn't get to the time to, to crawl around in the grass and look for cool bugs, they never would have generated that interest. And they never would have been able to drill deep enough to understand and study it and then become a professional at it and then understand, oh, look, we can cure cancer with this or whatever. Right. 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 It's a progression and it takes a lot of gooey time, a lot of slow time. <laughs> and we want things to happen so fast. And I think a lot of times parents voice their dreams on their kids or they expect kids to know how to behave or how to do things. And then when they don't, it's the kid's fault. And, and then the kid is punished or the kid is, you know, you kind of break their spirit. So I think, I think much of the way we can listen to kids is to let them alone and let them be kids. I mean, I don't mean by themselves. I mean, quit um, foisting what we want them to do on them. Quit giving them entertainment. Give them things that challenge them. Give them things that they can aspire to and see if they like it. 
I mean, when I was a kid, my brother could play the piano. He didn't have any lessons and he could just sit down and play it. And so we both got piano lessons and that was not for me. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I didn't care about it. And I wasn't any good at it. I can't do two different things with two different hands. And my mom's like, okay, you don't have to do that. And she was so cool about that. She didn't push. She let me sort of find what what I was interested in. It's made all the difference. Amazing. Peggy, you've given us so much to think about today. Uh, I feel like I want to just lock myself in a room and just ponder what we've talked about. This is this yeah, great. Yeah, good stuff comes out of pondering. We need to ponder more. <laughs> That's it. Take take your gooey time. Explore. Do it. Fail. Do it again. Peggy, you just brought it. Uh, heart and soul to the show today. So much appreciate what you do in the industry. Thank you for, for coming on the show. How can people reach out to you, find out more about what you do, and, uh, and just pick up more inspiration. Oh, well, PeggyBrown.com is sort of my website. I, it's, um, I don't sell anything, but it's just kind of a, gives you a little history. Um, other than that, just, you know what? Make something. Try. Who cares if you fail? I don't care. Fail. Fail gloriously. I love it. So good, Peggy. Thanks for bringing a smile to our face today. This has been such a blast. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode. Bye, Felicia.